welcome to Talk is Jericho. It is the pot of thunder and rock and roll. And today, the very funny actor, comedian, and good friend of mine, Andy Kindler, is here. He played my bumbling agent, Phil Blank, from the Fill in the Blank talent agency in But I'm Chris Jericho. If you haven't seen it, go on YouTube and check it out. It was a very, very funny show that we did a few years ago. And uh, he's also worked with Ray Romano, and everybody loves Raymond. He voices one of the main characters on Bob's Burgers. He's also, uh, you've seen him on Midnight. You've seen him on so many shows. You might have seen him on Mark Maron's TV show, Maron. He's one of those guys that's been everywhere, and he is a riot. We're going to talk about all those projects, how Andy got his start in comedy. Uh, you're going to dig this interview and the laughs that come with it. He's, he's a funny, funny dude, very uh, nebbishy little guy. But before we jump in with Andy, i got to take care of the sponsors who make it possible for me to do this podcast for you for free for twice a week. Thank you. Thank you, thank you for supporting DDP Yoga and his amazing documentary, The Resurrection of Jake the Snake. I know, uh, you know how much I, I dig DDP Yoga and how much the new DDP Yoga Now app has helped me and how I'm uh, benefiting hugely from it. It's been my mission to get everyone listening to do DDP Yoga because of how great the program has been to me, how much it's helped me. It's saved my pro wrestling career, given me so much longevity uh, and in my music career as well. Anything that I was having any issues with, DDP Yoga uh, made my position and my uh, condition better ddp yoga also saved this is very important jake the snake robert's life that's heavy saved his life and you can see that for yourself in the uh excellent documentary resurrection of jake the snake uh dallas and his crew put it together and believe me it's not just a wrestling documentary it's a great personal story about how jake the legendary jake roberts beat his demons battled back from the brink of death literally to reclaim his life and his family it's a great story heartwarming uh, it'll piss you off and it'll make you happy to be alive uh, inspire you so many people are checking out and digging it so much so that it's now the sixth highest rated documentary of all time on netflix so go watch it now be sure to rate it after you watch it netflix and chill and i know that's a sexual innuendo everyone's going hey don't you know it's a sexual innuendo? i'm making a joke why don't you netflix and chill with your chick with the resurrection of jake the snake definitely not the uh, romantic type movie you want but if you're looking for something riveting netflix and chill with the resurrection of jake the snake i'm telling you it's a documentary it's gonna take you on a roller coaster ride of emotions and like i said gonna leave you feeling inspired and ready to take on the world at the end and once you're fired up to uh to change your own life after seeing jake roberts change his take advantage of this amazing offer that ddp has given to all of you sexy beast talk is jericho listeners 20% off anything you purchase at DDP Yoga slash Jericho for a limited time. 5, 10, 15, 20% off DDP Yoga. That's 20% off the collector's edition of the Resurrection of Jake the Snake documentary. 20% off anything at ddpyoga.com slash Jericho. Go take advantage of it, man. Change your life. Start today. ddpyoga.com slash Jericho will make you a better person physically and mentally. Go check it out now. All right, I want to talk a little bit about the events from this weekend. Had a great uh, performance, I think, both nights. Uh, Sunday at Battle Zone, Battleground. Was it Battleground? That was it. With the returning Randy Orton, and what a great segment that was. It's interesting to have a highlight reel that late in the show. Um, eighth on the show, we were like the semi-main event, but it was Randy Orton. He's uh, kind of a big deal. And it's funny, he was like, I don't know if anyone was going to remember me, if anyone was going to cheer. I'm like, dude, you've been out for nine months. You're a 12-time world champion. 
people will be happy to see you. And that's exactly what happened. We had some great lines and, uh, you know, he called me Ellen and, and people were chanting Ellen, which I thought was pretty funny. And the whole Fandango thing, by the way, I love Fandango. He's doing a great job and him and Tyler Breeze are a great tag team. He's got a great act, very much rejuvenated now. And I never had a problem working with Fandango. The only issue I ever had was the fact it wasn't what, uh, Vince and I had agreed on prior to that, but, uh, it wasn't, uh, so anyways, Randy made the Fandango comment, which was, which was great. And then, and uh, then, of course, made the controversial comment about Brock Lesnar about how he needs uh, 16 or 17 suplexes to take him to Suplex City, but only one RKO to take you to Viperville. No enhancements necessary. And someone asked me, did you know Randy was going to say that? And I was like, yeah, I knew he was going to say it. I wrote it. So there you go. We were trying to think of a line, wanted to address the situation with Brock. So uh, I came up with that line and Randy was great with it. So, you know, you can't just ignore it. The whole world knows about it. You know, it's on ESPN. It's on T, uh, TMZ. It's all over the news. You got to acknowledge it. And, and, and Randy did. So we'll see what happens on uh, SummerSlam with Brock versus Randy. Going to be a great match. I think, uh, I think it's a new kind of a catchphrase. Suplex City versus Viperville. And maybe also hashtag Codebreaker out of nowhere. <laughs> Speaking of which, I gave Roman Reigns a code breaker out of nowhere in the four-way. Couldn't quite pull it off. Lost the match, but uh, it was a great match. Four-ways have a tendency to get a little bit wild and woolly, but it, it was really, really cool. I think we had a lot of great stuff in there, and it was cool to see Finn Balor go all the way. And you're going to see Finn Balor versus Rollins at uh, SummerSlam. So everyone who's bitching about Roman, Roman's getting a big push, and Roman's getting shoved down our throats. Well, there you go. Roman lost in huge fashion to Finn Balor, who I've been hoping to get up on the roster for months and months and months. And I'm glad that he's here. And once again, Roman, I'm telling telling you guys, uh, people were booing the hell out of him. And then at one point, they started chanting Roman. So I'm telling you right now, Roman Reigns will get your respect. He's a hard worker. He's a, he's a very good worker. Name the last bad match Roman Reigns had. I bet you can't do that. So, And what a great uh, first night for the new Raw. New stage set. I love the fact that the announce tables were off the uh, the floor. Got a little bit of different there. Corey Graves being on there was cool. Uh, Lillian Garcia was gone. You notice that? JoJo was put in her place. All of these little subtle changes equal uh, the tone of the show is that it's different. So everything was kind of updated and changed and, and differentiated from from before. So uh, I think it's a really cool era right now in the WWE. It's a really cool time. And I'm still here, man. I ain't going nowhere. Still killing it putting on great matches and having a good time. So there you go. And if you don't like it, then you're all stupid idiots. And by the way, people who wait for me in the airport looking for autographs, I am not going to sign them when I'm coming to and from a WWE event. I'm a heel. I'm a bad guy. Don't take it personally. It's what I do. If I sign your autograph at the airport, you go, oh, he's such a nice guy, and not boo me at the shows. So uh, it's hard enough to stay a heel as it is. So I'm not going to sign your autographs or take pictures with you in the morning at the airport. If you catch me on the street or somewhere where I'm not involved in a wrestling show, I'll be happy to. But when it's WWE related, I am not going to do it. Don't get mad at me. I'm a bad guy. I don't have to sign autographs or take pictures. It's what I do. Okay? And for all of you who go, the fans make you. Exactly. The fans make me and the fans pay money to see me get beat up and to boo me. That's my motto. I'm sticking with it. I know Andy Kindler would uh, would appreciate that. Super funny guy. We had a chance to work together when we did uh, But I'm Chris Jericho, the web series a few years ago. If you haven't seen it, go on YouTube and check it out if you're bored. There's six uh, five-minute episodes. No, ten five-minute episodes, just little nuggets. And Andy was great as my bumbling, uh, my bumbling agent. And he did a great, great job in that. And great great job at anything he does he's a very very funny guy loves Dolph Ziggler's stand-up comedy 
Uh, he's always going on about Dolph Ziggler's Chipotle routine, which is a joke between the two of us. Andy is a very funny guy. He's gonna he's gonna get you rolling, and the laughter starts now. So uh, I'm here with uh, I guess we're, we're technically like old old friends, right? Mm-hmm. Because uh, we work together. In show business, in show business, in the business. In our, you know, we have so many. I have so many acting gigs. It's hard for me to remember which ones they are. Do I know Chris Jericho from MacGyver? Do I know him from my many years on uh, what's that show with Mister French? Who, <laughs> who, Mister Belvedere? No, no, where the, the two, ki- the two kids were twins, and there was the guy who was the single father. What and- show was that? Before your time. Everything should be before it's before your time. (laughs) That's the thing. It's funny though because um, there's a guy I know named Dolph Ziggler, and I know him. Right? Yeah, I love him. And he's 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 a a wrestler as well, but he's starting up uh, uh, you know a stand up career as well. He loves comedy. He loves loves comedy, but he always talks about Andy Kindler. Like sits in the back of the room and like gives advice and tells old stories. And you're kind of (laughs) like. The elder statesman yeah, of, uh, of, of, of comedy at this point in time. Well, it's getting older every year, I notice. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, is that, do you feel that? Like, I, like, I know like, when I go back to wrestling sometimes because I'm one of the last guys from a certain generation, I'm like, they call me the OG now. You're like an OG guy. I'm like, I'm, I don't even know if that's appropriate for this. Right, right. But a lot of young people want to come and, and ask advice and stuff. Are you kind of that guy too? In yeah, your I also find that I'm doing a thing where, which I would have never thought I would do, which would be the guy who does offer advice unsolicited. <laughs> <laughs> you just go up to people? Well, my main piece of advice for – and people think – well, it's – Partly, people do think like I'm going to be angry because I do jokes about Fallon or, you know, so they're going to slam them. Yeah. But um, I really like people in general. Uh, so not that my anger is a shtick, but my, my, my main advice for people when they're uh, starting out is just not to be hard on themselves because stand-up comedy is like counterintuitive to a lot of art forms. It's like when you're, uh, uh, say, in rock and roll or whatever, you know, mm. when you're in your teens or your early 20s, that could be the best time for your music because it's the combination of rage and uh, what you have to say. But something and it comes together perfectly. Not that you can't write later, but for comedy, it's really, except for rare exceptions, it's something you need to do a long time. Mm-hmm. So like I've been, I feel like after 30 years... I'm just getting the hang of it in many ways, and maybe I'm over-exaggerating a little bit, but I really feel that way. So when you see new people, they're almost always like – especially people who move to L.A. They're like, I've been here five months. I've been here six yeah. months. It's like the worst thing you can do. If you move to L.A., just say, I'm moving here. Don't start a clock on yourself. Oh, interesting. You know? Why would you put so much pressure on yourself? You're like you John Ham. He he put a uh, – uh, uh, as I heard him talk about, he put a clock on himself, and he actually got it underneath the uh, – <laughs> Like you have a year to make it. Well, his or... was like five years or okay. whatever, and then you go back to St. Louis or whatever. So right. I even think in his case, it was dangerous, but maybe he needed it at that time. You know? But in general, you can't go by the external results because it just takes so long, and you can't quit based on I – mean, I mean, sometimes people shouldn't be doing comedy. I'm not trying to – so, in fact, I changed my mind. Get get out, all of you. <laughs> so so like, you know, as for example, like sometimes uh, back in the days, you'd go to a strip club, for example, and you'd see a girl, and it's like you just don't fit the mold of what a stripper is. You're not right. or, or a wrestler. Like you see a kid who's like 112 pounds, and mm-hmm. it's like, dude. You not you have to look in the mirror and realize this is not going to happen for you. Yeah, that's do you, true. Do you see yeah. these this with comedians as well? Well, the danger is. Is that you can see it, but you could be wrong. 
there are friends of mine who um um, who are amazing comics uh, and I didn't necessarily see how amazing they were and then you see them all of a sudden it's not like I rooted against them I just didn't see it happen mm-hmm. and then they all of a sudden years later came through now that being said sometimes you can see somebody and you know if I had to make a bet on it <laughs> <laughs> you know some people you can see it's not about struggling they just you know, they don't – whatever. They they approach it in a strange way. But I still wouldn't want to bet on people because you never know. But you never know what's going to connect and what's not going to connect, though. That's the thing. Like, I remember there was, that, like, that guy Emo Phillips or something. Like, right. How is that funny? Right. But to a certain – you know, to a certain a group of people, he was, like, a genius. Well, especially if you don't – like, if you saw Emo – like, I love emo. So, like, if you saw emo out of context, you go, I don't like this, the weird mm-hmm. voice. So, it's like a lot of times. And then the other part is that not everything is for everybody, you know? Mm-hmm. So, there's so many different factors. I'm kind of, like, known for pointing out when things are hack. Like, even on, on like, uh, Twitter now. Right. So, like, I see things on Twitter that are hacky that I used to talk Like, when people go, uh, said no one ever. That's a Twitter hacky thing now. <laughs> or because science, you know, because something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and, and then it's, like, it's hard to even – people, I think, are f- afraid to be around me that I'm going to point out something hacky. But, but this is something, like, that w- we all did, like, six months ago. So it's mm-hmm. not even, like – I am necessarily exempt from it. Or another thing that really bugs me, uh, intellectuals do, is a new thing. The last couple of years, they start out a question with, like you asked me, so what's going on in the field of, uh, of, uh, of recycling? I go, so where we are is they start with so, as if this is an ongoing discussion that you guys <laughs> yeah. have had, and we're just picking it up. And yeah. it's just, it, it drives me crazy. Another one that drives me crazy is intellectuals use sort of instead of uh, uh you know, like most people when they think go, uh, they go, mm, sort of a this, it's sort of a that, it's so it's sort of a nothing. It's sort of a nothing. Yeah. I'd rather you go ah than go sort of because the sort of implies that you're thinking so deeply. Yeah. That you yeah, can yeah, only yeah. communicate it by it's sort of this. I really I'm such a genius you can't know what's really going on. But let's say it's sort of that. The one that uh, my daughters use right now is a wait, wait, Andy, are we gonna do this? Wait. <laughs> Water? Wait, and you get so attuned to it that all I'm hearing is like, wait, yeah. wait, 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 like stop saying wait. Well, <laughs> well, how about the thing that drives me crazy is on commercials. Like this drives me crazy is like the commercials are always telling you who you are. You're not somebody who likes to drink a beer that's not smooth. You you like a car that drives this way, but you don't like a car that you can't get out of the back. I mean, it's all these things where they think that you're watching the commercial and they go, yes, that's true. I really, right. I am a guy who enjoys. It's like cops interrogating you. Right? You yeah. did see his face that night. Or stereo, when I was a stereo salesman in the 80s, you'd always try and get yes answers. You never get, get no answer. So you like, you, you want a stereo, right? Yes. If oh, I so can that, get you that's, a price that's, on it, that's a sales trick. Uh, it's just well, I don't know if it worked that well. Okay. But if like, uh, if if you say to a guy, you're probably not going to buy today, right? <laughs> it's not going to work, <laughs> yeah, yeah. right? You don't want. This Let me stuff. ask you a question, Chris. If what? I could give you a price on the stereo system that you were happy with. Wouldn't it be a great thing for you to to bring it home today and start listening to it? Yeah, sure it would. <laughs> <laughs> so you're keeping it positive. But that's not the real Chris Jericho. The real Chris Jericho is, let me tell you, pal. Yeah, right. If so, I don't have that system in my car, 
with a cop, right? With extra wires and extra boosting. So let's. So you're a stereo salesman. What was the secret? Like, do you have to sell two stereos a day to make money, or do you sell? How does that even work? Well, I th- I think we're blessed to live in a society where we no longer have to be subjected to that kind of sales. I mean, it's it. It is like a wonderland today. You really can't get ripped off on something except mattress. I think you can still get ripped off on mattresses because if you notice mattresses, like they go, hey, come down to the mattress king. If you see a better price on the same, it has to be on the exact same mattress where these companies make uh, different ones for different department stores. Uh, okay. So don't buy into the mattress hype. <laughs> But uh, when, when I would sell stereos, there was a big profit margin. So, like, for example, they were house speakers that were made by the stereo company. Mm-hmm. They cost, like, $5 to make. But they sold, like, 300 And if you came in and I demoed them for you and I put on my Donald Fagan IGY album, you would hear this boom, 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 boom. And you go, wow, listen to that bass. Listen to that top end. A week later when you got it at home, you want to jump out of a window because <laughs> you really want a flatter sound. So I was a bad salesman in in that when I learned that that was true, I wouldn't sell those speakers. Oh, uh, you didn't so, want to be ripping people I off. I didn't want to rip people off. So, so we're like, let's, what's the good tunes? You said Donald Fagan album? Yes, uh, be... IGY, that one. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, because it has all the – anything by Steely Dan was great to sell. Because whenever, whenever we do sound checks, uh, the, the sound guy always uses the Sting song because it's got heavy bass. Yeah, and yeah. <laughs> you know, you can right, hear all, gives the you all that nuances uh, of it. And this was just like a matter of it sounded exciting in the moment. But that's a very – like I'm a guitar player, so I love my guitar. It's a guild acoustic. But there's no way I'm one of these guitarists who could have gone in and played the guitar and realized it in the moment. Like mm-hmm. I love it now, but I could never – if someone wanted me to pick out a guitar for them, forget it. Because I don't have that kind of ear or knowledge that certain people have. Like this is a beautiful guitar. That's Right. A, you know, so – Sonically. Sonically. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Um, if you're going to buy a guitar, you're sunk. <laughs> I also sold it. I also sold guitars for a living at See, Guitar Center, and I, that's like so. When you're, that's an interesting point of selling guitars at Guitar Center. Is do most people still end up picking up the guitar and start playing Stairway to Heaven? They do, but I was very. Uh, I had a limited thing. I worked at a guitar center in a very um, like a desolate area down mm-hmm. in the South Bay, like Hawthorne. No one ever came in, so it was a bad. I, I made minimum wage. It was not like any other sales job I had, but it seemed like pure hell to me. Yeah, it seemed like I would. At one point, tell someone to shove, uh, you know, stairway to heaven up their ass, you know, because it's just like, even as a stereo salesman, I got into this thing, which was like people would bring their expert friend in, mm-hmm. and look, you know, so they wouldn't get ripped off. And then as I got tired of selling, I started to get very mad. You I could tell this is not for me. I have to quit because, because uh, uh, I would always say to the guy, the expert, no, well, you happen to be wrong, Mister <laughs> Expert Friend. You're wrong. How do you feel now? You got brought in here by your friend to be, uh, you know, it's like, and then, no, that's, you're not going to get a sale after <laughs> yeah, that. Not like that way. So I had to get out because I was in sales for years and I kind of liked it. But I mean, I sold door to door even. That See, was that, that's a lost vocation. I don't think you could even do it now. In this day and age. I was thinking, like, you know, I remember as a kid, like encyclopedia salesman. Yes. Or even travel agents. Like, not sure, but maybe there might be a travel agent here or there, but most people just go online and buy their own stuff. Or like encyclopedias, who even needs encyclopedias anymore? But if you wanted one, <laughs> yeah. 
You wouldn't be going door to door with it. Yeah. So what were you door to door selling? Well, this was terrible. It was a really terrible thing. It was in 1980, and I was selling door to door home improvements. It was like a, a room additions and patio enclosures, and it was just the worst because I wasn't even allowed to give a full price, nor could I have got given a full price. I didn't know what the hell I was selling. The only thing I, I could do was like I had a really great m- a measuring tape thing <laughs> that I could put along the ground. <laughs> And measure ten feet that way, and then you know you clip it, you know you hit the thing, and it's, it sucks yeah, yeah. it back into itself. Yeah. So then, so maybe I would go. This electric meter might have to be moved, <laughs> and then I would try to reschedule the closer to come in. Uh-huh. And it was a terrible job. I, I got one joke out of it. I said I sold door to door for two years until, until I learned a valuable lesson. People don't like to be disturbed at home. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. I got bit on my ass by a dog once. See, like, that's weird. like I used to be a paper boy, and when you go collect, right, you collect the money. Yeah, it's always weird because you know I never had a, a Playboy penthouse forum experience. <laughs> that's what I was looking for. But there was a couple ladies in bathrobes Ooh. opening the door. Not ladies that you'd want to see in bathrobes, but it's creepy. Come inside, close the door. She's got the bathrobe on it's like you're a 15 year old kid i don't need to be seeing this you don't need to be but (laughs) (laughs) that's true did you ever have that i never have it's like i hear these things like everybody who sold door-to-door ever would tell me not everybody but some people's oh i'll never forget the time you know the lady answered the door with a negligee which i don't even think they make anymore (laughs) negligee and two martinis (laughs) there's a famous there's a favorite famous joke about you know uh a stock joke Stand-up comedy joke yeah. about the comedian who goes to the uh, hotel room of this woman and uh, he knocks on the door and she's in the negligee after a show and she goes, I saw you earlier tonight and I, I just loved your show so I had to invite you up and he says, early show or late show? Because <laughs> all he cares about <laughs> which show he did well on. <laughs> right. But that's kind of the, the famous comedian like – all great comedians are a little bit neurotic, a little bit strange. Is that is that a true thing that you've noticed over the years? I think it. Well, I mean, I think that they can be odd. I I like to think of myself as fairly normal, mm. but I made that just maybe because I don't want to walk around thinking I'm an oddball. But I think the thing is like comics in general. I think are a great group of people because. You know, if you had to hang around all actors, I mean, I have actor friends and they're great, but there is just by the definition of the job, they have to be more like, how do I look and mm-hmm. what's happening with me and all that kind of thing. Whereas stand-up comics in general, uh, I don't think people uh, who like me uh, like me because I'm a dreamboat. <laughs> <laughs> Even my wife says, look, my wife, uh, people think I'm gay, but my wife's name is Mrs. Beardsley. <laughs> Mrs. Beardsley. <laughs> You see, this is the fifth laugh I've gotten from that. <laughs> I like it's the it's the repetition. Yeah, of it, yeah. Because in comedy, repetition equals laughs. Oh, well, in my case, <laughs> <laughs> you just keep coming back. Or, berate, or berating. <laughs> Wait, what, what didn't you like about that one? <laughs> oh, right. Now you feel bad. I was, I was bad. But when we worked together, though, yeah, that was the best because I love if I could just work as an agent as an agent. Oh gosh. The, the fact that me being your agent, I swear to God, it was so much fun. Yeah. And I know. That there's got to the reason why it wasn't picked up is because it was good. That's my my theory now. People <laughs> are like, oh, we can't. can't is that the rule in Hollywood? Right? Well, not really. Yeah. But I just felt like I have. I did two things. Once where I was one where I was like a a, a, a judge for kids' cases. Mm. It was the most fun I've ever had. That's a great idea. Oh, it was so much fun. I thought, oh, this is gonna get picked like up. You know, this kid broke my skateboard or something. Yeah, or it was right? over family squabbles. Uh-huh. And I got one kid. One kid took a picture of her her 
uh, arm, mm-hmm. and she said it was her brother's butt crack, right? <laughs> and then I said to her, this was like the greatest moment I think of my life. I said to her, which arm did you use? And she pointed to it. And then, and she's like seven years old. And my, I'm celebrating. I'm high-fiving. You've been caught. You've been caught. Because I asked her, like a Columbo type, which arm? And uh, when we celebrated in my chambers for an hour. Well, that arm wouldn't fit in the butt crack? or would No, mean? no, no. She was showing me that she actually took a picture of her oh, arm. Okay. Because she pointed to which one she used. <laughs> and her whole point was, and then even after that, she's like, you still can't prove it. And yeah. You know that was my arm. Right, right, right. See, but that, and then that's we're talking about our show, but I'm Chris Jericho, which we we filmed. It's almost, I think it's like three years ago now, and it was really funny. And like you said, you're just kind of waiting. What can we do with this? And then nothing ever happens with it. But it's like you know from being in this job as long as you have and I have when you have something magical. And it's frustrating when something doesn't get picked up when you know yeah. it's, it's good enough to do that. Even when you that. tell yourself that it doesn't matter. I mean, I'm, I'm, I think I've developed. After 73 years in the business, and as I enter... Uh, I'm looking every year of it. And as I look every year of it, as I order off of the Denny's 55 and over menu, which I have looked at, but I refuse to... Is there anything good on it? Well, the thing that cracks me up is that it's a, the senior 55 and over menu. Every item on it is, uh, has senior in front of it. So you have to order uh, the senior chicken parmesan. The worst one is the senior tilapia. <laughs> I don't even like a young bottom feeding fish, but now an old an old fish, an old bottom feeder with wrinkles. Bring me the oldest tilapia you can find. <laughs> They're really shoving it down your throat too. All right, yeah. old guy, can I have the senior ice cream? Oh, I'm sure they, they do the a senior little. Egg. They, they dance. They do a little song if you order it. <laughs> Hello, old guy. Here's your coffee and here's your tilapia. Enjoy it. Before you die. Before you die. No one would order it off the regular menu. Who goes to Denny's to order tilapia? <laughs> right. Is the seafood good? Yeah, yeah. Because it's available in every single Denny's. Right. We're in Hammond, <laughs> Indiana. Is the seafood fresh? Yeah, right. We're landlocked for 2,000 miles. You are in a fresh? red lobster in Iowa. <laughs> yeah. How is the lobster? Is it pretty fresh? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, we got it right from the... <laughs> Straight out of the pond that's out front from the rain. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed... Also, 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. You mentioned before uh, talking about hacks and that sort of a thing. Do you? Um, and I know you've done routines calling out certain comedians for yes. being. Kind of, now, what is your uh, definition of what a hack comedian is? Well, it's kind of harder today. In the old days, it was very easy because it would be like people would use like Stan. Like I wrote an article for National Lampoon in 1991 called "The Hack Comics Handbook." It's still on my website. If anyone. If anybody would go to my website, I think my website would get shocked at the visitors. <laughs> everybody would be cleaning up on my website, shaving. Yes, can we help you? Wipe away the virtual cobwebs if you go <laughs> yeah, there. Virtual, yeah. <laughs> current dates. We're still working on the current dates. But we have where he was in 2005. So back then, like every comic, like in the 80s, tried to sound like Seinfeld. What's the – who's the genius? It's harder, it's harder today, but it's, it's basically – like I would call Jimmy Fallon hacky because he, he's invested so much in I'm happy. Everything's great. Mm. So he takes that 
when, when that precede that the hack part is when that precedes real life. You know, like like he's kind of got a formula. He knows how to how to make it viral. Like I even say, like I can't even get my own viruses to go viral. But he knows <laughs> if he does a, uh, a, a you know a spoon and potato salad toss with Cameron Diaz, it's going to go viral. That to me is hacky because it's calculated ways of getting audiences, mm. and it doesn't feel like a real experience to me when you watch it. Okay. Whereas Letterman was a curmudgeon. He wasn't afraid to show his real personality, so that's yeah. the opposite of hack. He seemed like always he was kind of grumpy, right? He was a grumpy. He would, one of his bits was people would be walking down the street, and he would spray water on them. <laughs> that was one of his recurring bits. <laughs> He'd just spray a huge hose of water from the studio. You know, he'd operate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, get the hell out of here. Now go back to the Port Authority terminal and get out. Because <laughs> you did a lot of work with, with Letterman. Yeah. What, what kind of stuff did you do? I was very lucky that he uh, made the effort himself to have me do these field pieces that he used to do all the time. Mm-hmm. Very, and I don't know if people remember the early Letterman's where he would do like uh, he would do one called Just Bulbs. He would go yeah, I remember like, that. Yeah. What else do you sell here? Just bulbs. Just just bulbs. That's it. Do you have and desks then, here or lamps? No, just, just bulbs. bulbs. And he would and he would do these all of himself, all by himself. But then he started to get mobbed. He's like a famous guy, mm-hmm. and he couldn't be himself. And so I, that's one of the reasons why I started. To do them was because he wasn't doing them. I don't know if you remember he did those things at Rupert G, where Rupert G would have a, a like the diner or something like that. Rupert well, yeah, G the, G, G, the, the deli, but Rupert right. G would go out with a camera on his forehead, yeah, and Letterman would sit in a van and tell him to say all these terrible things, <laughs> like yeah. he worked on a, as a in and a Rupert waiter. was just a normal guy, yeah, just a normal guy, yeah. and he just would say anything. Hey, you got a problem, tough guy? <laughs> and once I think they got in trouble, they, oh, yeah, they started yeah, yeah. getting in trouble. They had to rescue Rupert. So, what kind of stuff did did they have you do? Well, I went to uh, to a couple Super Bowls. I went to Yankee Spring Training twice. Uh, I went to Wall Street when it collapsed. I went to the Unclaimed Baggage Center, which is a place like in uh, <laughs> Alabama, where if you don't claim your luggage, it all gets sent to there, and there's a store, and you can buy, I guess, someone's toothbrush. <laughs> <laughs> they actually allow you to buy it. And they even have a little museum there, because there are occasionally valuable things. That valuable the, toothbrushes. Well, valuable, like, uh, I can't remember. That's how valuable they were. Yeah. I went to space camp once, where so I got is, to... is Letterman uh, sending you there, and then you just have to make up the bits as you go, and oh, just do oh, some interesting stuff? Or do you have a, a, a list of things to try and do? The, he sends a... My friend Jeremy Weiner was, one, was the writer who always went out with me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But all the writers would write stuff for it, and then they would send me out with that, and then whatever happened, if I ad-libbed or whatever, or, or Jeremy, he was the main writer. He would feed me stuff. So it was that kind of a thing. Okay. You know, they, so they would arrange it, and then I would just go there. And, and some of them was like exciting because i do the, the, the Super Bowl, and then the next day I go fly to Dave. That's to great. Play. Yeah, like the, one, the last one I did was when uh, the Steelers won. Ah. And uh, so what's the guy, the Steelers quarterback? Rossberger? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I like I he high five. He didn't know he was high fiving me or low fiving me. <laughs> but I got into the locker room. Yeah. And so I was like, yeah, like that. And he goes, and then the next day he was on the because they always try and get the quarterback yeah. or whoever. So he was on the show. So it was show. just exciting. So you know? Letterman obviously liked you. Did you ever do Carson? No, because I'm too. I am too young for that. Okay. I didn't do Carson, nor uh, did I do the Sullivan Show, nor <laughs> did I open for Al, uh, for who's that guy who was uh, now mommy. I never opened for Al Jolson. Okay. That's another rumor. It was all just urban myths. Yes. Okay. All right. On. Right on. You- I did have a hilarious roadster bit. No. <laughs> <laughs> I heard you were Horshack on Welcome Back, Cotter. People thought I swear no. to God, everyone. 
I absolutely thought I was that guy. And once, before he passed away, sadly, <laughs> we both played the same uh, club in Vegas. I opened for him at the Riviera Comedy Club uh-huh. all that week because he's walking around. I'm walking around. Hey, Horshack, It's Horshack. Do you ever see that? Did you meet face to face and like go? Wow, oh yeah, because I was on the same show with him, right? And he would come out, and he his act wasn't it was it wasn't sad, but it was, he wasn't a stand up. You were blowing you know? him out of the water. I was kicking his. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's very hard to say because it is extremely hard to do well in Vegas. If you do well in Vegas, you might have to question what your act is hmm. because. To me, if you go to Vegas and you want to see a great show, go see Love by the Beatles mm-hmm. and you see incredible, the greatest gymnasts and the, the greatest Singing sound system. And, yeah. But in general, people don't go to Vegas for cutting-edge comedy. <laughs> yeah, really? No. Because you still got guys that – like Don Rickles is still there. Right. Got like a Carrot Top and those guys that have their residencies there to do their gigs. Right. But the classic times were like the Rat Pack times. Yeah. Rat, and that's where Rickles came out of. Right, right, Rickles' right. whole thing was that he would insult all the other comics working in Vegas. And then eventually they you know, made a, sh- a TV special out of it. And then he got popular. And that's what got him the, Yeah, over. but he yeah. was like – you know, people would – three in the morning he would play – <laughs> at these places and Sinatra would come in and all these it must have been amazing oh yeah so I always go to Old Vegas hoping Vegas. that's going to happen yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what kind of what generation of guys did you come up in the business with well like I did the uh, with, well, the uh, Young Comedian special mm-hmm. in 1992 <laughs> and on that special was Judd Apatow he yeah. used to do stand up uh, wow. Ray Romano Janine Garofalo um, Bill Bellamy uh, Nick DiPaolo so and I'm missing so much. So like, names. yeah, and then I, I start, you know, Kathy Griffin, um, uh, Bob Odenkirk, and David Cross, who oh, became wow. Mr. Show. Yeah, uh, it was a really great. It was like the late '80s, early '90s, mm-hmm. and uh, I was kind of involved. Uh, Mark Maron, all these. We started this like alternative movement. In Los Angeles, like comedy got very homogenized in the '90s. It was all there were all these clubs. Every town had too many clubs, and so you couldn't really fill them with good comics. And the club owners just went with crowd pleasing acts. Mm. So, in other words, for every like Larry the Cable guy, there's 75 other guys who were like Larry the Cable gotcha. guy. And so, like even then, it was kind of in a way not cool, but it was like it made me know I was on the right path. And like, okay, these guys are getting great laughs from the audience, but they're kind of taking the easy way out. <sighs> Almost all of them didn't go further. Not that I'm rooting against right. them, but it, it just shows you that if you do believe, do what you believe. Even you will get somewhere, even if it's not where you wanted to get or what you expected. Well, it's to interesting get. because you're talking about like, let me use Larry the Cable Guy as an example. And if you have like you know Art the Garbage Man and Dave the Plumber, or whatever, all guys doing kind of that same bit. It's almost like in rock and roll when a band gets really big, they have an offshoot of twenty bands that kind of sound the same. They're trying to sound and the you same. You know that, right? Yeah. yeah. Hold on. Note to self: work on Art the Plumber bit <laughs> and Eddie the Garbage Man. And submit to uh, the various stations. ABC. <laughs> well, they, well they, they would have that too in the 90s, like the funniest plumber in Queens and all these kind of things. Oh, and, like he would, that would be his bit? Well, no, they would just have these contests because oh, constantly they're oh, always looking for – that's why – like in a lot of ways, singing contests and comedy, they've been around forever. But they weren't – the thing that's been, become bad about it is they weren't like the main way people thought. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Bob Dylan was not like a – funniest folk singer and <laughs> yeah, 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 it's yeah. like it was it was something that was always part of the business uh, like there was a famous San Francisco competition but when it became like you know just reality shows taking over the mm-hmm. air it starts to get how do you feel about that like America's Greatest Comic or, or Idol or The Voice or one of those things well I think the 
I was a judge on, right. on last conversation, and, and it was like one of these things where I slammed it for years. So I was like, <laughs> <laughs> and then I was broke. Uh, uh, but you know, it's going to sound self-serving, but I actually enjoyed the year I was on because uh, uh, Craig Robinson was the host, mm-hmm. and he was ho- just funny. And, the, and right. it was like I did, got to do it with Greg Giraldo uh, and Natasha Legero. So it was we we did it. I didn't want to be. I can, I'll tell you what it is. I can't like to me. I despise the Simon Cowell. Mm-hmm. Of personalities, because to me the worst thing you can tell a singer, or you know, it's, that's not how someone becomes a great singer, is by some uh, kind of jerk mm-hmm. <laughs> telling mm-hmm. them how bad they are. You know, like what, what he didn't tell that Jennifer Hudson she'd never make. Yeah, it exactly. And she goes, yeah. wins an Oscar. So, yeah. Right now, you're going to get great people coming to those shows because that's a viable path for them. Yeah, but it it's like. My parents, uh, my parents loved Dancing with the Stars when it first came out. Mm-hmm. They liked that, and it's fun. You could see that that certain things work. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I don't want to be like a, a guy who sits and smokes a pipe and wears a monocle and goes, no, "I'm sorry, Mr. Jimmy Kidd, this is beneath me." <laughs> the world needs more monocles, by the it way. It does. Talk yeah. about the eye control you need to hold the damn <laughs> monocle on. <laughs> like, that's the hardest part. <laughs> Colonel Clank did it. Yeah, well, he did, and uh, the Monopoly guy. And those are your two examples. I never saw the Monopoly, a live picture of the Monopoly guy. <laughs> does he have a name? We have to find uh, so I bet li- he does. Whoever's Money. listening right now, uh, let us know what his name is and, and, and get back to us here. And also, figure out what's the real deal with Baltic Avenue, all right? <laughs> yeah, this Baltic Avenue. Yeah. Bunch of bullshit. Yeah. You think I'm going to buy that? <laughs> Marvin Gardens? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So um, another thing I was going to ask you about, too, we've talked about how you're going on the road as a comedian. Do you still go on the road a lot as a comedian or do you just stay more around L.A.? Because that, that, that's one thing I like about comedians is that it's very similar to rock and roll or wrestling. His name is Rich Uncle Pennybags. Is uh is what my, is my That's name? That's the Monopoly man, Mitch, Rich Uncle real? Pennybags. Yeah, Stacy just looked it up and found it. I think you made it. that up, Stacy. <laughs> yeah. You just wrote that down. Oh, Stacy, Rich Uncle Pennybags. It sounds he's a got bit, a fistful. Uh, he didn't have a fistful of dollars too. I didn't think he does. It sounds a little perverted, like Uncle yeah. Pennybags. Uncle Pennybags, put on your pajamas. I'm coming home. Oh, now you've made Monopoly. Oh, whole, uh, I took it uh, the next way. Was that a hack? Thing? No. <laughs> No, it was a. Now you're going to scare children. Is that adventurous? Can I make that a bit? Like if Monopoly was really like about this crazy pedophile? Actually, well, <laughs> you might get sued. But actually, nothing is hack unless you're like I'm a big hack off stage. I love corny puns, mm-hmm. but nothing's hack unless you're making your living from uh, from, from, from corny pun, puns. From doing, yeah. Who's the biggest hack in your opinion? Uh. Well, that's tough to say. I mean, the old days it was easy because you could identify them by the fact that they all sounded like uh, Seinfeld or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's hard. I mean, it's like I, I even like go past the word hack. It's more like people who just I have found like Dennis Miller, who used to be the funniest guy in the world, and then decided I guess after nine eleven he got freaked out, mm-hmm. and now he's like a opening up for Bill O'Reilly. That guy that gets me mad, more angry ah. than a prop comic or something that I don't gotcha. like. Because you know, I just don't think if someone's a bad comic, it doesn't affect me like it used to affect me when. All the clubs were filled with them. And like you were asking me, what do I do now? Like I still do go out on the road uh, mm-hmm. as much as I can. I just came from a thing where I did four nights in the Northwest. And it's like a little tour. My manager, uh, Zach, came up with this tour. And I love it. I've said, and, and But now it's even better because in the old days, people didn't know what they were coming. I used to do a joke about how in the 80s they would have like a – 
someone from the club will go, congratulations, you've won our answer the phone contest. Would you be willing to bring you and 60 people of your friends who know less than you about comedy to the club? Who's playing? It's comedy. You like it. It's like going to a movie theater and you go, what's playing? It's a movie. Yeah. Just come on. Just come on in. Want. And that's the way it used to be. But now people can you know, click on who's there. Mm-hmm. So it's actually a comedy renaissance right now, I think. Is there? So the best comics. Like, you know, in the old days, you couldn't say, you know, Ellen couldn't say she was gay. Mm-hmm. You know, there's just a lot of things that blocked you from being yourself. On the other hand, sometimes those uh, restrictions can make the best comedy because you're fighting against something. But uh, right now, I think it's pretty cool what's happening, uh, how many great comics there are. What makes for a good comedy club? Like, you know, for me, if I go into play a rock and roll club, is there a certain vibe you walk into a club where this is going to be great or this is going to be the shits? Well, there's two answers to that. One answer is what I'd like there to be and mm-hmm. what there is. So what I'd like there to be was used to be a club called Luna Park. And there was a uh, Beth Lapidus had this show called The Uncabaret, which was like this amazing show in the 90s in L.A. It was what the, like one of the first alternative rooms. The thing I loved about that place was it was about 125 seats. Everybody had a great seat. I think comedy really works in a small room mm-hmm. way better than it works in a the theater. They also had a great menu. So that to me, it would be – a club that has good food – but I can't always get the food part of it. So it's more like, is it intimate? Do the people know why they're there? Mm-hmm. And uh, and then that just starts to, to form a vibe. Right. You know? Right, right. What does it say on your poster? Andy Kindler, as seen on TV and <laughs> yes, radio. TV. The guy who <laughs> – yes, the guy who invented Mr. Microphone. <laughs> yeah, I should use as seen on TV. I What they usually do is they put every credit – for a long time, they would still do The Daily Show. I was briefly a correspondent on The Daily Show. Oh, okay. Uh, many, many years ago. I was TV guy. I would review. But because The Daily Show is hot. That's right. They like that credit. on The Daily Show. From The Daily Show. I'm sure Raymond is probably on there. Raymond, Raymond. When that was good. Yeah, that yeah. was big. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm Chris Jericho. Right, that was big. Very small at the bottom. Now I'm using a lot of uh, uh, like people, if I say I'm Mort from Bob's Burgers. <laughs> okay. They like that. Because that, that's a, you do a lot of voiceovers. I do. Uh, I don't do a lot of voiceovers, but let, well, I like the way you're describing my career. He does a lot of voiceovers. Yeah. For example, he's Mort <laughs> on Bob's Burgers. I used to tell people I'm a recurring character on Bob's Burgers. It's like, why do I have to tell them what my contractual deal is? <laughs> yeah. Just say he plays Mort on Bob's Burgers. I'm let a them figure character out. A minimum of six episodes per season. Right. On a 22 season uh, program. I know. I would go further. I don't have a, a specific minimum or maximum, so I never know when I'm going to work. It's very sad, folks. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Have we gone past the credit part? <laughs> it's hard to be a comedian, and I don't know where I'm getting my next gig from. I don't have a lot of cash saved up, so right. I need to be hired. But please enjoy me. Yeah, but please put show. that aside. I don't want you to be focusing on what I haven't gotten. But, but you, you, you told me before that you have a voiceover. You have a you you booked a voiceover. You got well, a busy two day big things. It's two big things. First right. of all, at noon, I don't want people to get too excited about it or to come down to where I'm getting my hair cut mm-hmm. at noon. Oh, very at noon. excited! Right, and it's in Brentwood. Gotta, I don't kid around. Bre- Brentwood. Brentwood's a, a ritzy place, famous for the haircuts. Yeah, I don't go to West LA to get a haircut. Bad haircuts there. Even yeah. if it's good, I can't be seen there. So I have a haircut, and then I have an ADR session, additional dialogue rec- – I don't know. You know all these mm-hmm, things. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is for the, for the lay person okay. who's listening. <laughs> right, right. So that means that either I wasn't in the episode or my original recordings were so poor <laughs> – 
and they had to bring me in. All I know is I'm paid again. That's all I know. Oh, okay. That's that's all that matters. And is this for Bob's the Burger? It's Bob's for Burgers? Bob's Burgers. So I'll go in there, and sometimes what they'll do is if they've added dialogue, they'll show me a cartoon, well, whatever you want to call it, animation of the actual show with uh, uh, Lauren Bouchard, who's the, one of the creators of the show. He usually does my voice. I guess. Hey. So he does it for you? He does it as a scratch. Oh, gotcha. And I listen back to it. And then when they they call me, you know, matching, they Mm. say about me, he's the king of not being able to match uh, his voice to the (laughs) – if you like, if you like uh, animation where it seems like uh, it's bad ventriloquism, <laughs> yeah. you'll enjoy Andy Kimmel. If you like perfectly matched dialogue and cartoons, stay away from stay Kindler. away from Andy Kimmel. Right. If you want that kind of kung fu Shaw Brothers nineteen seventies, it's off a bit. That's Andy Kindler. That's the one. If you like South Park, like South Park, I don't know if you ever saw the original three minute thing it was hilarious. Mm-hmm. It's about Christmas, whatever. And it's like I still can't believe the joke is continuing on to this day that it's terrible animation right. and horrible voices. Yeah. So how did that become a hit? As soon as I hear, I'm done. <laughs> I'll I'll watch anything. Hey, Cartman. Hey. What kind of a voice do you have on Bob's Burgers? I have a voice. Uh, uh, let me take a second to get into the character. Hi. Hi, Chris. I'm Mort from Bob's Burgers. Do you want to hear my my regular voice now? Please. Hey, Chris. Nice to be on the show. I'm Andy Kindler. (laughs) That's amazing stuff, dude. I didn't even turn around. I think there should be some Oscars, Grammys, Tonys, Emmys, Razzies, all of the above. I would like to get a Cable Ace Award, which was an award (laughs) in the late 80s. I'm up for a Tweety. Twitter award coming up. Which is... I got a reply, a replier. I'm up for best reply. In a no, okay. actually they do have Twitter awards, so I shouldn't have said that. That to me, that sounds like something they would yeah. have. But it's amazing the power of the social media. I'll tell you this because today I'm not going to say the exact airline because they they made up for it on the back end. But I got on the plane and my seat was broken and was basically told deal with it or get off the plane. Wow! So I went on to social media, 2.6 million Twitter followers, and wrote at. Yes. Schwarzky Airlines. It is Schwarzky. I knew you. you know, yeah, 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 they're very stupid good. Stupid airline. <laughs> and I said, you know, is this how you treat your customers with this, this, and this? I'm very unacceptable. This is disappointing and unacceptable. Send. Two minutes later, I'm getting DMs. Please, sir, what can we do to help you? What can we do to fix you? That has power yes. to go on Twitter. Yes. And, the, and if you use that to your advantage, you can get extra stuff nowadays. Yeah, I often will go on a plane. I go, I don't like the looks of this guy. <laughs> Dear followers, this guy looks creepy. Let's get him off. Come on. No. And then they remove him. No, I'm just kidding. What, what, do they do, what do they do if he's following you, though? Oh, I'm uh, <laughs> I'm sitting next to Andy Kim. What the hell? I'm kind of careful in a way because I'm already so strident on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Like, people will follow me. It's like they like it. I'll be in a mood where I'll do goofy things for eight hours, mm-hmm. and then I'll go into a – political tirade right so that's why i try to watch i'm already embarrassed myself uh half the day anyway because it's like if you don't know who i am it's like who's this strident guy who just can't get rid of you know he's so annoying so then i don't want it so i have to i don't want to be on uh, on top of that saying uh dear schmuckle airlines what kind of a pillow is this are you kidding you call these headphones what happened to magazines we yes. magazines aboard planes that's how you know you're getting older 
that there was there used to be magazines aboard planes. Yeah, or that you, that I keep. I don't even smoke, but I try to smoke on the plane just because it's. Uh, it seems like because <laughs> there's ashtrays. I still can't seas. believe it. There's some still point, some planes. That doesn't make me uh, confident <laughs> that they have an ashtray thing. Sticking out of the bathroom door sometimes. It's still there. And I always love the concept of smoking and non-smoking on planes anyways because where's the line? Like yes. I'm, I'm in 14D non-smoking. You're in 15A smoking. And is this wall of 15 and 14 going to keep that smoke away? It was. I mean I actually am old enough that I do remember. And I, I smoked for like every once in a while in my early 20s. You know, luckily, I didn't get addicted to it. But I do remember smoking on a plane. It's so stupid. Just because you could. could No, no, because people did it, and it was like (laughs) – and back then – and I remember when they they stopped having – in bars, I really was afraid it was going to hurt business and stuff like that, you know, Mm -hmm, comedian and stuff. And now I can't remember – what now it was like to right. If you walk smoke. into a place that maybe allows you to smoke, it just is like a gas chamber. <laughs> yeah. you know? Did you? Uh, who was your like uh, favorite comedians when when you were getting into the into the biz? Well, I was luck- lucky in one way was that I was not a stand up comedy fanatic. Okay, which I think helped me because it's when you start. You have to find your own voice, and I think if I had a million like other comics in my head, delivery wise, it would have affected me. But I was more like into, like as a young kid, Jackie Gleason and Dick Van Dyke. I, I grew up on sitcoms, so mm. I loved Mary Tyler Moore, and then I also loved uh, Woody Allen movies. And I and and, and in the eighties, I got into Letterman and uh, Saturday Night Live and SCTV and Richard Lewis. I loved comedy that I think Letterman perfected, which was basically, I'm going to do this bit, and I'm going to call attention to the fact that, that it's ridiculous that I'm mm-hmm. doing a bit. And so it never took itself seriously. So like Richard Lewis, I saw him once interviewed and, and on the show, and he goes, you know, my advice to young comics is, you know, don't go right to L.A. You know, start out somewhere small. You don't have to come to L.A. immediately. Mm-hmm. He goes, but, but, but who am I? I'm dr-, he goes, who am I? I'm just like Satan at a barbecue. All right? So I, that, to me, <laughs> sums it all. Well, you don't take yourself too seriously. And I think that's a danger. That's why the, my favorite comics are the ones who are vulnerable, mm-hmm. kind of, you know? You know, because you see those comics that, like, for example, and I think you might have even talked to him, but I was talking to somebody the other day about Dane Cook. Who right. was super huge? He played like one year. I was in Tampa, and he was playing the arena that night. Yes, and now he's not. And what makes someone so big and then just not big anymore? In his case, it was uh, a classic case of someone's ambition getting out ahead of where they were creatively, mm-hmm. and a lot of that is also hard to control. Because it's, you know, you can say to somebody, you're not ready for this or whatever, but then what are you going to do when the opportunity comes? Mm -hmm. So because he was so much basing his appeal on uh, like a meteoric rise and all these like the way he used social media, I think he was even like MySpace back then. Right. It creates this expectation. You know, I did comedy uh, for 10 years before I got my first Letterman chance and it wasn't very good. Mm -hmm. But there was no microscope on me. He had a thing where his fame got so huge that every single thing he did, there's a, a microscope on it. Well, how good is it going to be now? And, mm-hmm. all, and, then, and I also think he based a lot of his – people liked him. I think they were kind of younger kids, like 15, 16-year-old yeah. kids. So maybe they outgrew it. But also I don't know there was a lot of meat to what he was doing. It was a lot of like – it's more just attitude, attitude and right. looks, kind yes. of rock star quality, right? Yeah, and then he got a lot of sh- – I mean he'll probably still go. I mean he's still doing stuff, but I mean he did a lot of acting things mm-hmm. and he got movie things and 
Well, it's yeah. like you said, when you, when you get put in that, in that position and you're a leading man right out of the gate, you probably only get one or two chances. And if those yes. movies don't sell, then you're not leading man anymore. Especially if you're kind of up in the ante. I'm not saying he purposely upped the ante, mm-hmm. but he was like he embraced the fame. So then it's like if I did eight roles and it was bad, you wouldn't maybe even notice it. you know. Right. But then every single thing, it's not just he's getting a small part. He's getting leads he's in leading movies man, yeah. that he wouldn't have normally gotten. Right. So it's just it, it is the, the the downside of having so much attention on you is sometimes not good. And you're doing it the opposite. You're really working your way up the ladder to get to that leading man status. The ladder in my case has been removed and has been put away <laughs> and I am allowed a step stool. <laughs> so sometimes I can reach up, I can re- I can see the big uh, money at the top shelf and I get the little I get I can barely I'm short and I can barely reach and if I get like a I have to get like an organized crime guy to stand on his shoulders and then get some real opportunities. It's one of those games at the arcade where you put the quarter down and it pushes the other quarters back and you're uh, and you're just right at the edge. Oh, uh, that's me. That's and it, it. Falls and you grab that quarter. Yes. You know. Yes. Then you're waiting. I never get the Koopy doll, whatever the heck they call it, Koopy <laughs> doll, whatever it's called. <laughs> Koopy doll. What's the matter? I used to love the. You ever have lines when you were a kid? You didn't know what they were. Like yeah. one of those lines was, "What's the matter? They couldn't guess your weight." <laughs> yeah. And do you know what that's from? From the the carnival or something? Yeah, it's from the circus. Yeah. So it's like uh, if you're wearing a bad and Letterman used to use it. <laughs> like if you're wearing a bad outfit, he would assume they couldn't guess your weight. You won this terrible tie. <laughs> yeah. I t- some of the things like that. Like my dad, uh, when I was a kid, I used to say, uh, "See you later" to him, and he would go. Not if I see you first. So it took me 20 years to figure out yeah. what that meant. I thought it meant like if he sees me first, then I won't be able to see him later. But then I realized what it really means is if he, not if, if he sees me, he will avoid me. Right. If he sees your back and you don't see him, yeah. he's going to run away. Because I get that too all the time. I'm trying to think about it. Like, yeah. Where they not come if I from? see you first. Yes. Okay. Because the other one I used to get is why don't you take two weeks off and quit the business? <laughs> and I'd be thinking about that. Steve Austin used to say that to me all the time, and I'd be like, "So I take two weeks off and then quit the business, or does does the quitting start when you have that first day off?" <laughs> you know, or do, do you I take need, two weeks? Right? Do I need two weeks to decide? I'm the same when to quit? way. I focus on the. You'd think as a comedian, I would go right to the joke, but I yeah. focus on the specifics. Yeah, well, that's kind of part of your uh, part of your genius, <laughs> shall we say? The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed. Also, 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Now, we talked about Ray Romano. You said you guys came up together. How was it working with him on on that show? Well, in a way we came up together, but in in a way we didn't because I'm from Queens, New York. He's from Queens, but he started in New York. I started out in L.A. Oh, okay. And so uh, when we did the Young Comedian special, that was the first time I ever really spent time with him. Mm -hmm. And then how I got the part in his show was – from the writers, Phil Rosenthal and all these writers, we would like Lou Schneider and all these writers. We'd meet at a place called Victor's in the in the Valley, uh, not on Franklin Avenue, and we would have breakfast like every Sunday, uh-huh. uh, and uh, for years and years and years. So I got friendly with with Phil that way, and his show got picked up the same year that um, this his show got picked up. 
And then there were other shows. I was in a pilot that year that didn't get picked up, mm. and then I was recurring on on uh, on Rainbow. Oh, okay. They wrote the part for me, which is also another only other wrote way. Wrote it specifically I can... for yes, you. Yes, it was yeah. written for me. It was created. Andy was created by the writers there. In the classic tradition of Tony being Tony Danza's That's character exactly right. in every show. <laughs> yeah, and so far it's been mostly that way. <laughs> Mort, Mort is a departure, and it's very difficult for me. To know which line is yours on what the script. What does it mean? What do you mean I'm Mort? I'm yeah. Andy, I say often. Right. And I say, uh, it was a great cast, though, with, uh, with Everyone Loves Raymond, one of those rare shows that just becomes almost a cultural phenomenon for seasons and seasons and seasons because of such great chemistry. I think you're right. And also I think that that's what makes great sitcoms is, and that's where a lot of times trouble starts, is because if you truly understand and accept that it's a collaboration, I think sitcoms have to be a collaboration. Like there's a famous story about how Carol O'Connor uh, got in a fight with Norm, Norman Lear and they didn't get along. I'm sure Carol O'Connor was very hard to get along with, but mm-hmm. at one point, like, it was like uh, Carol O'Connor or Norman Lear said, it's either me or Carol O'Connor. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the network says it's Carol O'Connor. Mm-hmm. And I may, I'm, I may not be getting all the details right, and maybe I'm, but the point is, is that be, you could not imagine On the Family without, uh, yeah. Archie. Right. You know, and so there's always this stress between writers and comedians. And it's kind of weird because, like on Raymond, a lot of the writers were com- stand-up mm-hmm. comedians. So I always thought like these pe- that people's egos get in the way, and it's like okay, because we all remember the time that that one actor guy tried to change his lines and he was terrible, you know. <laughs> so then they, they, in their mind, they go, "Never let that happen." And to me, it's like I always feel like I'm open to the idea can come from anybody. You know, mm-hmm. like the idea can come from anybody on the production. Right. So I think if you embrace the collaborative, like there's a book called Difficult Men, which is all about uh, Mad Men and The Sopranos. Okay. And it was kind of nice to know that Breaking Bad, they say, was a very positive writer's room. Like that guy was not a mean guy at all. Oh, I see. Uh, Vince Gilligan. Uh, uh, yes. Yeah. And people love to work for him, and, and they were open to ideas. That's like the, the goal, I think, is, is that, that. But it's very hard because there's so many different pressures in television. And a lot of times people who you could call jerks do better <laughs> sometimes uh, because they just take control. And a lot of times their own egos get in the way, and it's a whole thing. I had uh, David Koechner on, and he was talking about um, doing the Anchorman movies. And how it was the same thing where Adam McKay, the director, and, of course, Will Ferrell, here's the script, deliver what was written, okay, now have some fun. And he right. said, I don't know how those poor editors put together the movie because there were so many funny lines. Like, try this. Say this. Hey, Andy, try this one. Chris, try this. And there was just a great collaborative effort of just guys giving each other lines to where we have nine jokes deep for the same scene. We don't know which one to use. And also because they're all – all those people you talk about – are confident with their own abilities. Right. So like Adam McKay, he knows he's funny. Will Ferrell knows he's funny. That's when it's perfect because when it's the other way, it's usually because like like showrunners who are – don't ever change a line. Sometimes that – like on The Sopranos, that's the way it was kind of supposedly David Chase wouldn't want you to change it, whatever. Yeah, the Coen brothers, Yeah, now it's hard to argue with it when it's great. To me, The Sopranos are the greatest show ever, so I I can't argue with with how they worked it. For whatever reason, that's Mm -hmm. how they want to do it. But but I love that what you're talking about too can be really, really – It's a collaborative effort. Yeah. Improv. If you trust everybody. The ability to improv, yeah. Yeah. So. We, we had that on, on But I'm Chris Jericho because it was such a quick shoot. But also knowing the, the quality of guys that we had involved, it's like 
just do what you want to do, and we'll figure out the rest as we figure it out. And that's the kind of the Spinal Tap uh, yeah. structure that I still think is amazing, and I love it. Yeah. It's, it's just hard to work it because, like, uh, like if you look at the Christopher Guest movies, some of them are amazing, mm-hmm. and some of them you can see some of the improv. Yes, you know, and that's a weird thing. Like you think if it was improv, it would always sound natural. But sometimes you hear it, like you can hear that they're looking. You can see, oh, okay, now I respect writers way more. Well, but, <laughs> but that works if you have that great chemistry. True. You know, like for example, like Eugene Levy and Catherine O'Hara oh, have been together yeah. for so long. Just stick them in a room together, and you know something funny is going to happen. Yeah. No Whereas question. if you introduce a new guy, that's probably where they don't have a lot of new people in there because then that guy's trying to fit in like a sore thumb. You know. Yeah. Right. Does a sore thumb? What <laughs> no, that's sore- a mix. That's that's what I would call a mixed metaphor. Oh, okay. That's so great. They, uh, uh, I love them. You know where you hear them a lot is on The Real Housewives. My wife and I watch The Real Housewives. Yeah. And I, it's like you start off with one one thing and you go – I think it's like sticks out like a sore thumb. Yeah, yeah. Right? What did I say? Put in like stick a – Stick them in there like a sore thumb. <laughs> <Like a sore. laughs> <laughs> Which is probably why your thumb is sore because you're sticking it into places. That, see, that's the thing. I always think of the technical – like for example, there's an expression, you couldn't care less, Right. That's right. what it's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. You couldn't care less. I still try to justify I could care less yes. on, the, on the basis of I don't care about it. I bet I could even care less about it. Yeah, yes. But, but, but the technical is you couldn't care less. I couldn't care less. Like I care yeah, so yeah, exactly. little about I, it. I, there's no way I could care less about this or exactly. I could care less. Yeah, I, it's kind of more of a, 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 a sarcastic type thing. Oh, I, I could, could care less. I could care less, but I don't. Yeah. See, I'm the way the you bottom. said it, it works. It's all in the intonation. You, you stuck it in there like a sore thumb. Right, right. I stuck it in like a sore thumb, and I could care, I could care less how sore it is. And by the way, I only learned about mixed metaphors because I read this article. In the, I, yes, I read The New Yorker. <laughs> it's obvious. Obvs. From the monocle. <laughs> but I read this article where <laughs> this back. woman, her job was to correct, like edit correct, like uh-huh. copyright correct. For years, right. and she was like, it was a fascinating article. Like half the stuff I couldn't follow what she was saying, but that was one of her things. Was one of her like pet peeves was mixed metaphors. Yeah. So then I started noticing it on uh, on the Real Housewives. If you look it up, you'll see examples. Misusing. Of it. You start out with one. Uh, I wish I could think of one right now, but you start out with one thing and then you end it with something else that doesn't relate. He's to. not the sharpest bulb in the shed. Yes, he's not the sharpest uh, pencil. He's not the sharpest pencil. I can't think of what the, how you would translate in, in the toolbox. Yeah, exactly. Where, where you know why would you have a pencil? But you might have a pencil in the toolbox to take measurements. No, but that's a mixed metaphor right there because okay. uh, he's not, he's not the uh, sharp. Uh, his elevator doesn't go up to the uh, to the penthouse. No, the top floor. <laughs> he doesn't say his elevator is not working. <laughs> right. No, but you see that's those things can work just because you're changing them. But see, and that, I am a real stickler for those type of details. You mentioned tweeting before, texting as well. I go nuts right. with the your and the you apostrophe re misuse right. in this country today. Yes. You know? Well, you're you're prop- the best. Y o u r the best. Right. That's not correct. It's not correct. You're insulting me by saying I'm the best and spelling it wrong. The only the, the only reason why I'm not as hard on it as you are is because my sister was an educator for 35 years, and there's a certain segment of the population who are dyslexic, and even they wouldn't be able to – there's not even a correction for, for it. Mm. So my point is that I want you to feel guilt, mm. such guilt. Shame. Shame? Do you feel shame? I don't think you feel a lot of guilt and shame. Not that guilty, yeah. <laughs> 
But I get what you're saying. It is you know, a pet it bugs peeve. Me. It's one of those things that just bugs me. I yeah. see that all the time and it bugs me. But tell me some of, some of your favorite comedians now, up and comers or your peers. Well, I love like uh, Hannibal Burris is great. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love James Adomian, who's so great. He's a guy who does voices. Oh. He does like impressions, but they're like different than anything you've heard because he gets to the core of who the people are. And he like he does Jesse the Jesse Ventura and he does just oh, really? all these incredible – he does the best Bernie Sanders People think Larry David is doing Bernie Sanders. He's doing Larry David. Is what he's doing. <laughs> yeah. and people like go. He does the best Bernie. Sanders. No, he's doing. He's funny because he's Larry David doing it. That's right. Yeah. Um, and then there's uh, Maria Bamford, who was just on Letterman. Mm. Oh, she had such a great set on Letterman. I didn't uh, see her. So great. It's just a really. It, it's amazing now. I just feel like it's amazing now how many great stand-ups there are. It doesn't mean the TV is so great. I mean, there are great things on TV. Like I love Fred Armisen on Portlandia. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I think the the people on Saturday Night Live now are very the women on Saturday Night Live, especially, and some of the men. They're incredible. Kate McKinnon. Yeah, I uh, think Vanessa it's that, Bear. It's that transition p- uh, phase where there's no big stars in the cast. Yeah. So everybody's kind of going at the same, they're starting from the same point. But I am in the school of uh, that. Uh, Lorne Michaels is a big scam. It's the biggest scam in the world that people think he's a genius. In what way? Well, because he doesn't. Uh, I mean, uh, he's just been one of these guys who's like. Well, he's just one of these guys who's like his famous quotes are I didn't we didn't record Saturday Night Live at 11.30 because we were ready we recorded it because it was Saturday Night at 11 you know all these kind of like full of himself <laughs> quotes <laughs> So he bothers me. But it was Lord Michaels if he was Frankenstein's monster. Yeah. We always love Saturday Night Live. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, the, the, it's become part of the pop culture urban legend. That he's Saturday the Live. man. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah right. He's the man behind, uh, you know, the, 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 the successes of the show. But once again, as you know, it's a lot to do with the guys themselves and probably writing all their own stuff. And Lauren's just kind of gave him the green light to do yes or no. I would say, if anything, he's blocked. Greatness, <laughs> and, and and greatness happens b- despite him because I don't think he knows what he's looking at when he's one of these guys who like. How did he eat his popcorn? Did he, you know, he's like a, likes the mystery type thing. Yeah. Um, but also the thing about Saturday Night Live is like is the one show where still the format is electrifying. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, it still works. I will, even when I've counted the show out, I'll go, I got to watch again. I got to see it this Saturday. Yes. You know, this Saturday. I got to see it. Now, when they're doing people like when Donald Trump is hosting, I don't want to watch it because mm-hmm. he bothers me. Is <laughs> <laughs> it bother there might be a chance he could, uh, do you think he has a chance to win the Oh, he does have a chance. Mm-hmm. But I just can't even believe it. I think it's so embarrassing for this country. I can't think of any other major country that's had such a mm-hmm. a guy who literally knows nothing. He doesn't even know what he's saying when he's saying it. Mm-hmm. Like just he, trying to get a rise out of people. Yeah, because he doesn't know like anything. He's, yeah. uh, he's like his. He's like based on ego. He's like the perfect example of someone whose entire worth is based on his money and his ego. Mm-hmm. You know, I have a problem with his hair too. Yeah. I don't think that's a good representation for America. It's terrible. You know. The- We're not a windblown. <laughs> we don't all look like owls. <laughs> well, that's pr- and also that he thinks that he's attractive and that he thinks that his brand. Like, have you ever seen one of those Trump Towers? They're awful. Yeah. Look at it. It's gold. Gold is good. Huge. Huge. <laughs> he's like a bad stand-up comic, too, because he's like, uh, Ted Cruz, I think he's born in Canada. It's true. 
It's true. It's true. It's like all the rhythm. Airline peanuts. What's the deal with that? Yeah. <laughs> he won't be too far away from doing that. <laughs> couple last questions. Big rumor that I heard over the years, uh, basically, that I just read actually earlier today. Did people ever think that you were a character from the WWE called Jameson? Absolutely. And in fact, I actually got mad. Well, the guy's name is John John DeBello, I think. Okay. But the last thing, quote from him, got me mad. The last quote from him was that he thought... What happened was, somehow on IMDb, he... It's not on the actual, I think, Bushwhacker well, stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, Jameson was like this really nerdy manager in the WWE late 90s, mid 90s, kind of like a typical like Revenge of the Nerds type guy. Yeah, for the Bushwhackers. Okay, for the Bushwhackers. For the Bushwhackers, he was there. And he would go on the Bobby Heenan show. Okay. Right? Yeah. And I've watched some of these things, and that's like a funny, kind of a funny show, that yeah, guy, Bobby yeah, yeah. Heenan. So people for a long time, somehow on IMDb, they credited me on those <laughs> wrestling things. I don't think there's any credits on the wrestling things. Yeah. And then people were thinking that I was denying it for some reason. Why would I deny a credit? I played an inflated globe for Comedy Central, dressed up like a large mascot of, a, of the earth. And if I'm not trying to bury that credit, why would I bury a legitimate credit? So the last thing that got me pissed was they finally, finally, a, a guy in, um, in Philadelphia uh, who's like a wrestling guy, yeah. he cleared it up. And then the last quote from that guy was that he thought I was trying to get like not- notoriety with his credits. Yeah. Come on, man. Have you no shame, I said to him. Jameson's pissed at you, man. Yeah, the actual Jameson. He's like a – I think he works in New York as a, a, a bar – like a waiter oh, okay. or a bartender or something like that. All right. If anyone knows the real Jameson. Uh, yeah. Him, uh... John DeComo. John DeComo. But people still think it's right. never going to go away yeah. because it was mixed up. And then people would pl- pay, play with my Wikipedia page. Oh, Do people play with your Wikipedia oh, page? Yeah. Oh, I've been dead three times. <laughs> Honestly. You know, and it's weird that day because you see that Chris Jericho, born November 9th, 1970, died, you know, May 12th, 2015. And it's funny, you know, I'll always retweet it or like, I'm dead. Hi, guys. Yeah. But for that day, I'm it's like, the- can you imagine if someone actually wrote that and actually got hit by, you know, a, a, a Zamboni or something like that? Right, right. You know, in the middle of Florida, which would be really weird. <laughs> I love Canadian words like Zamboni. <laughs> Zamboni is so great because, like, if you're American, you like you don't hear that word that much. So every time you hear it, it makes you laugh. Yeah, well, it's a, it's a funny word. Yeah, exactly. Last question: uh, What kind of a haircut are you going to get today? Uh, I'm going to, you know, the thing is, my image. A lot of people think I'm like Fabio. Fabio, what's his name? <laughs> Either yeah, one. They love me. The women love me with yeah. long hair. Yeah, but uh, they call I call it my mane. Mm-hmm. It's kind of I, just goes straight up this mane. Yeah, it's bad. Yeah. I got to keep it short and to the point. That's what I'm going to go for today. <laughs> Get any color in there? You're just going to leave it uh, natural? My hair or? is naturally colored, so I've got a, the salt and pepper thing that you see going on is real. I, okay. I, 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 you know, certainly I have lifts in my shoes. That I'm not going to lie about. <laughs> but the hair is real. Well, you know how, how tall I am? My friend calls me Cinco de Mayo because I'm five five and a half. <laughs> That would be my wrestling uh, name. <laughs> Luchador. <laughs> Andy, you're a blast, man. Oh, this was fun. I'm looking forward to this. I'm glad so we great got to do this. It's so funny because we worked together on Chris Jericho and then again on uh, Mid- At midnight. midnight. Yeah. Which was, I was like, I was, you were the first one eliminated. I think they made you disappear. Yes. But your jokes were far funnier than. It was than, fun. I mean, I, I still find that show confusing. It was confusing to do. Have you done it again? I haven't done it since. Yeah. I was the champion that night. Right. And they haven't brought me back. Neither yet. one of us have gotten the call. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We're waiting for that call. Please. <laughs>
Maybe Jameson can help us out with the original. <laughs> Thanks for having me, man. This Thanks, was fun. Brother. All right. The Ridiculous Andy Kindler is hosting the alternative comedy show at the Just for Laughs Comedy Festival in Montreal, Quebec, Canada this weekend. He's also bringing his off-the-wall alternative comedy lineup to JFL 42 in Toronto from September 27th to October 1st. Toronto is where we filmed, but I'm Chris Jericho. So if you want to check out Andy live and you live in Toronto, September 27th to October 1st, JFL 42. And go on YouTube and watch But I'm Chris Jericho to see the, uh, the, the really funny chemistry between Andy and myself. I play Chris Jericho. He plays Phil Blank, the uh, leader of the Phil in the Blank talent agency, and uh, he's he's a blast. So thanks to Andy for his time. Very, very funny. And uh, if you haven't seen, like I said, if you haven't seen But I'm Chris Jericho, go check it out. But also uh, mark your calendars as well. Today was a great podcast. But on March 15th, 2017, it's the biggest podcast ever. That's when Mick Foley joins Talk is Jericho, his Talk is Jericho debut. The countdown has begun, 230 days and counting until the biggest podcast ever. Yeah, and speaking of big podcasts, please go check out Conan's podcast, Keeping It 100 on the Jericho Network. It's tearing up the iTunes charts, the latest blockbuster podcast hit at podcast1.com via the Jericho Network. If you haven't downloaded it yet or subscribed, what are you waiting for? Go to iTunes and hit the subscribe button on Keeping It 100 right now. And uh, I'm telling you, the third episode is very, very funny. Juventud Guerrera could be one of the funniest, unintentionally funniest guys I've ever met, especially on radio. And Conan has him. Him dialed in down pat uh, Teddy Hart another completely uh, lunatic guy hilarious Disco Inferno Conan great chemistry it's a very very funny show and I'm very proud to bring it to you the very first podcast on the Jericho Network via podcast one go check it out now uh, and do the same for Talk is Jericho if you haven't already subscribed uh, at iTunes and leave a five star rating and leave a review I know you guys love podcasts so now you get TIJ twice a week and Conan once a week what could be better stick with me I'm going to bring you some of the best podcasting hosts in the world on the Jericho Network. They are coming. I promise. I got a lot working uh, working here right now. So Conan, huge, huge hit. Go be a part of the uh, of the sensation and stay tuned for more podcasts on the Jericho Network. And thanks to you guys also for supporting the great Talk is Jericho sponsors. Thanks to ddpyoga.com slash Jericho. You'll get 20% off anything you battle just for a limited time, including the new collector's edition of the Resurrection of Jake the Snake documentary. It's must-see. Also, audible.com. Once again, audible.com slash Jericho start your 30 day trial and get a free audiobook. you can get a free best in the world at what I have no idea if you want and also true car the cheapest fastest way to buy a new car and to the OG sponsor Amazon easiest way to support this show please use my Amazon links anytime you do any online shopping all my links are at podcast1.com just click on the killer deals button in the top right corner of the page then hit the talk is Jericho button Amazon links for USA UK Canada and don't forget you can buy anything you want in there uh, go buy uh, go buy anything it's, there's so much great stuff that you can pick up and you can check out uh, you get uh, how about Andrea Parent from The Conjuring her new book In a Flicker is available on Amazon go check out that it's very very chilling very chilling experience to check that out um, but don't once again when you buy something on Amazon become a Talk is Jericho Amazon warrior post whatever take a picture of what you buy post it on the, on the Twitter at Talk is Jericho I will retweet it and I'll follow you right remember no hidden fees extra challenges when you use these links once again podcast1.com click on the killer deals button in the top right corner of the page then hit the Talk is Jericho button alright all wrapped up and ready to go thank you so much for listening keep listening for the 60 second AP news headlines coming up next and on Friday making his podcast debut. Talk about a sensation. 
How about the guy all the way from Japan that everyone's talking about? Shinsuke Nakamura will be here making his podcast debut. We worked each other in Tokyo, had a hell of a match, and then a hell of a conversation. He can speak very good English, and you're going to find that out. Everyone is going to be talking very soon about Shinsuke Nakamura, just like they're talking about Bailey, just like they're talking about Finn Balor. All of these great guests coming straight from NXT on to talk is Jericho, and Shinsuke Nakamura will be here on Friday. We will see you then. Sayonara, domo you can download new episodes of Talk is Jericho every Wednesday and Friday at podcast1.com. That's podcastone.com.